Okay, we are doing now Friday of the Chukosai in a leap year when Mahar and the Chukosai are split. We are up to chapter 27, verse 22. So if you remember, on Thursday, the entire Thursday, which was quite short, about six verses, was discussing someone who was dedicating his ancestral field to the temple. And we said then, wow, well, if you don't buy it back, at the exact valuation we described yesterday, you lost it. Because when the Jubilee, Yobel year comes, you're not going to get it. It's going to revert to the priests who have the good fortune to be serving in the temple. That is their week on the Yom Kippur of the Jubilee of the Yobel year. But if you do buy it back and it's your own field, so you also have to add 20%, then it's yours. If anyone else buys it or you don't buy it, you don't have it. Today, we're going to be discussing someone who is dedicating a field that's not his ancestral field. He bought the field, which means in the Jubilee year, it's no longer his. It's going to go back to the original owner. And he would like to dedicate this field to God. So he's allowed to do that. He's allowed to do exactly what the other person did, which means he's dedicating it to the temple, but with a very big difference. He only can dedicate it until the Jubilee year, or the Jubilee year is no longer his. So if it's 40 years away, he can gift it to the temple for 40 years. If it's a year away, he could gift it to the temple for a year. But in the Jubilee year, it doesn't go back to him. And it doesn't go back to the priests of the Yom Kippur of the Jubilee year. It goes back to the original owner because it's only his, so to speak, on loan until the Jubilee year. And that is basically this point as we're going to discuss in several verses. Verse 22. But if you will sanctify to God a field of his acquisition, what he's bought, not what he owns in his inheritance, that is not of the field of his ancestral heritage. So Rashi explains what I just clarified, that since in the Jubilee year this field is supposed to go back to the original owner, he can dedicate to the temple, and if he dedicates to the temple and then wants to buy it back, it's the exact same deal as we discussed yesterday. The exact same price, the 50 shkolim, the shekel, and the the small coin, 148th of the shekel, the pundion, everything is exactly the same. The only difference is that in the Jubilee year, it goes back to the original owner. It does not go to the priest of Yom Kippur of the Jubilee year. Then the priest shall calculate for him the sum of the valuation until the Jubilee year, and he shall pay the valuation of that day. It is holy to God. So, we're assuming that he's dedicating it and he wants to buy it back. And then again, he buys it back exactly as we explained yesterday. How many years are left until the Jubilee year? Well, that was how many years the temple has it for. That's how many years he's buying it back for from the temple. And that calculation of one shekel and one pundion per year until the Jubilee year. In the Jubilee year, the field to return to the original owner from whom he acquired it to him who has it as an ancestral heritage of the land. So the Jubilee goes back, not to this person, and not to the priest, and not to the temple. It goes to the original owner because this person who bought it didn't have the rights to give it away perpetually. He only has rights to it until the Jubilee is. Every valuation shall be in the shekel of the sanctuary. That shekel shall be 20 gera. So here we have Rashi. So the first Rashi is saying that whenever there's a valuation where the verse discusses the idea of paying shekels, 
It has to be the shekel of sanctuary. Wait, now obviously there are valuations that people dedicate things to God, to the temple, and the Torah doesn't say the, it doesn't give it, doesn't put a price tag. Like we've been discussing in this Torah portion, you can dedicate an animal, you can dedicate a house where there's no standard valuation. At that point, of course, it doesn't have to be a shekel, it could be less. In other words, a shekel was a decent coin of those days. There's the pruta, I don't know if you want to call that the penny, there were 760 prutas in a shekel. A lot of pennies. So it's possible that someone gave something that was worth 500 prutas. You're allowed to do that. Well, it's not a shekel. Well, God didn't put a price tag on it, so you're allowed to just give its real value. But where God did put the price tag, as we're discussing here in the fields, where there was a arbitrary price tag, not its real worth, it could be worth more, it could be worth less, this is what God said. Or when we discuss the idea of uh, donating the value of people based on their gender and age, they could be worth much more, they could be worth less. This is what the verse is saying. But where the verse doesn't give a price, obviously you could pay less than a shekel if they're worth Then the verse said the shekel is 20 gira. So that's a little perplexing because. In the Mishnah and the Talmud, we're discussing the shekel. It seems to be saying it's 24 ma'ah. A gera and a ma'ah seem to be synonymous values. So Rashi first says, yes, 20 gera is 20 ma'ah. A ma'ah and a gera are equivalent. But our question is, but wait a minute. I know the shekel is not 20 gera, 20 ma'ah, it's 24. But the Torah is saying it's 20, 20 gera, but 20 gera is 20 ma'ah. But I thought it was 24 ma'ah, so what's going on? The Rashi explains that originally, originally, yes, the shekel is exactly what the Torah says, 20 gera, 20 ma'ah. Now, where do we get 20 ma'ah from? A shekel is for zuz. There's five ma'ahs to a zuz. Four times five is 20. So a shekel is four zuz, a zuz is five ma'a, four times five is 20, a shekel is 20 ma'a or 20 gira, same thing. But the Talmud speaks of the shekel as being 24 ma'a because later generations, not originally, but later they increased the weight of the zuz from the original five ma'a to six ma'a. So now it's not four zuz times five ma'a, it's four zuz times six ma'a. Four times six is 24. So that means now the shekel is 24 ma'a. So that answered the question, which might not have been your question or my question, but the question of, wait, 20 gala? Isn't it 24? Now we're going to go to a new topic. Still along these same lines, but moving away from dedicating land. However, a firstborn that will become a firstling for God among livestock, a man shall not consecrate it, whether it is an oxen or the flocks, it is God's. So what are we saying here? What do you mean man shall not consecrate it? It is consecrated. So Rashi says, yes, we know that. It's consecrated as a firstborn. So when it says a man shouldn't consecrate, it means you can't decide it's another offering. It, like, doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. So you can't say, oh, I want to offer this as a shlamim or an oiler or a chattas. What do you mean? 
It's already God's. It's a firstborn offering. If among the impure livestock, he shall redeem it according to the valuation and add a fifth to it. And if it's not redeemed, it shall be sold for the valuation. So we're like, what is this talking about? Yes, that's what Rashi is explaining. What is this talking about? The previous verse, verse 26, was talking about the firstborn animals that are dedicated to God. Well, that can't be what this verse is talking about because firstborn animals dedicated to God are not the impure, non-kosher livestock. They're only kosher. So that doesn't make sense. Then you could say, wait, there is one not-kosher animal that is dedicated to God. It's firstborn, and that's the donkey. The firstborn of a donkey is dedicated to God. But that can't be what this is talking about because you don't just figure out its worth. We know the way you redeem the firstborn donkey is through a sheep, a lamb. Well, that's not what the verse is saying. The verse is saying figure out its worth. It's not that the lamb is worth the firstborn donkey. That's just what God said. That's the rules. And anyway, the lamb that you give goes to the priest. If you've ever seen such a ceremony, it's quite rare because obviously we're not an agricultural society. And anyway, donkeys don't give birth too often. But I actually did participate in one. I saw one. It was very powerful just seeing this thing you learn about in the Torah is actually, actually a real deal. It still applies today. And why does it still apply? Because it's not a gift to the temple. It's a gift to a priest. So if you had a donkey and it gave birth to its firstborn, yes, you are supposed to exchange that for a lamb, give the lamb to the priest, and you have your firstborn donkey. So obviously that's not what the verse is talking about because the verse is saying figure out the value of the animal, and that's not what we do for the donkey. And as we're saying, that value goes to the temple, not to the priest, and the lamb goes to the priest. So what is this verse talking about? So Rashi says what the verse is talking about is someone dedicating a not kosher animal to the temple. Meaning, you can take any animal. You can take a horse and say you're dedicating it to the temple. Now, not that it's going to be used for an offering. You're not allowed to use, offer a horse on the altar. But what's the temple going to do with the horse? Well, they're going to sell it. And that money they're going to use for the upkeep of the temple, and the temple has plenty of expenses. Now, who's going to buy it? Well, the verse is saying, as we've already learned this rule many times, if the original owner wants to buy it, they they fix its price, and here it is real price, not a fixed standardized price. That's not necessarily, it could be more or less than the real value. No, here we do the actual value of, let's say, the horse. And if the owner wants to buy back the horse, no problem. He buys the horse plus 20%. Because whenever the owner, as we've learned, is buying his own, his own property back, he always has 20%. That's like the, the tariff. And if anyone, and let's say the owner says, no, I don't, I don't have the money to buy it back. It's just not plus 20%. I dedicated it to God, and that's it. I'm done. I gave God my present. Totally fine. Someone else will buy it, and they'll buy it for its worth, and that money goes to the temple to be used for the application of the temple. So interesting thought. You could dedicate a not-kosher animal to the temple, again, not as an offering, but it's something they're going to sell and make money and use the money for the upkeep of the temple. So he should redeem it according to the value, according to what the priest is assessing it. Again, not a fixed rate, like when we spoke about people or ancestral lands, but the actual real value. And if the original owner doesn't redeem it, then other people can redeem it for that value. And the money will go to the temple and will be used for the upkeep of the temple. However, any 
cherem. That's a Hebrew word for it. Segregated property. That a man will segregate for the sake of God of all that he has, a man, an animal, a field of his ancestral heritage, may not be sold and may not be redeemed. Any segregated property, any cherem, is most holy to God. So here we again have one of those, what is this verse talking about questions? The big question here in this verse is, what do we mean by segregated property? Cherem. And the rabbis actually have a, have a difference of opinion about it, and Rashi brings both. Some say cherem, segregated property, means a person makes a vow that whatever it is, as the verse says, uh, it could be a slave, it could be an animal, it could be a field, he's dedicating this to God. It is cherem. It is segregated. It is no longer his. It is God's. Everyone agrees that's what you do. But the question is, where does it go to? So some of the rabbis say that if you just don't specify, and you just make a general vow that you're giving this property to God, it goes for the upkeep of the temple. Some say, no, if you make an unspecified vow that you're dedicating something to God, it goes to the priests. And the priests of that watch get it. So when we're looking at the verses, how do we know who's right? Well, obviously both sides have proofs. So for those that say that the cherem, just a vow that you didn't specify where it's going to, but you're dedicating this to God, goes to the priests, where do they come up with that from? Because there's a verse in Numbers, chapter 18, verse 14, where God, speaking to Aaron, says, any segregated property among Israel shall be yours. So that sounds pretty straightforward that the priests get the segregated property, get the cherem. But, so that's the, the support of those that say any segregated property goes to the priests. Um, but others say no. Because the verse also says that the segre- our verse here says all segregated property is the holy of holies for God. It's the highest holiness for God. So that doesn't sound like a priest is getting it. That sounds like it's going to God. How do you give it to God? By giving it to the temple. So based on our verse here that says it's the holy of holies to God, the rabbis say, that can't mean you're giving it to the priest, you're giving it to the temple. All right. But those rabbis that say that, how do they deal with the verse where Aaron is told they get segregated, they, he gets the segregated properties? So the, those rabbis explain that a person could make a vow that he's segregating property and he's giving it to the priest. Meaning, there are, according, to, according to these rabbis, those and these sound the same. According to some rabbis, Anytime you make a vow that you're dedicating property to God, it means the priest, based on that verse to Aaron. But what do they do about our verse here that says the Holy of Holies? They've got a problem. Other rabbis say, no, segregated property is God's. As our verse here says, Holy of Holies to God. So if you made such a promise and you didn't specify where it's going, God gets it. It's given to the temple for the upkeep of the temple. Aye, but what do we do with that verse where Aaron was told he gets it? Because there's the option, anytime someone dedicates property, segregates property, that the person could say 
this property is for the priests. And then what he's dedicating, instead of going to the temple for the upkeep of the temple, goes to the priests, and that is what God meant when he said to Aaron, any segregated property among Israel shall be yours, meaning when people vow to segregate property to the priests. So now that we know the two opinions, if we're looking at the, the, the phrases in our verse here, so it cannot be sold, it cannot be redeemed. So if um, we're viewing the perspective that segregated property goes to the priest, so it says it can't be sold, it can't be redeemed, it goes to the priest. And those that say that segregated property goes to the temple, say this phrase refers to the priest. Meaning, what's our issue here? Because we know, we've already learned, we've already discussed that people can dedicate things to the temple and buy it back. But here we're saying it can't be sold, it can't be redeemed. So if you're saying it goes to the priest, no problem. The segregated property goes to the priest, and it can't, you can't redeem it and give the value to the priest. The priest gets that item. Once the priest gets it, he can do whatever he wants with it. In other words, if someone dedicated his cow, favorite, according to the perspective that all cherem, all segregated property goes to the priest, the man can't say, oh, you know, I really want my cow, but I want to give it to God, which means the priest. So I'm going to give the value to the priest, plus I have to add a fifth because it's my own. You're not allowed to do that. The verse here clearly says, all segregated property cannot be sold, cannot be redeemed. The priest gets the cow. You cannot buy it back. No option. It's the priest. Once it's the priest, it becomes just a regular cow. The priest wants to sell it to you? No problem. He could sell it to you. He could keep it for himself. He could sell someone else. He can do what he wants with it. So it's not saying that the priest does not have the ability to ever sell the item because it's segregated property. It's Hiram. No, once it's the priest, it becomes completely mundane and he could do it. He could give it away as a gift for all he cares. You know, he could do anything he wants with it. It's it. But the transaction has to go from the one who dedicates it to the priest and there's no intervening. There's no concept of like would be if you dedicate to the temple, I'm dedicating my cow, which means I'm going to give you the value of the cow because my own cow gives me the value of the cow plus 20%. That's perfectly kosher for the temple and perfectly not kosher for the priest. So for those rabbis that say segregation always means to the priest, this phrase actually seems to support them. It can't be sold. It can't be redeemed. Hey, right, because to the priest, you can't do anything else. You've got to give it to him. But what about all those rabbis that say, no, regular dead vowing a segregated property goes to the temple? So they say that this verse here, this portion saying it cannot be sold, it cannot be redeemed, is not referring to the general unspecified vow that you're segregating property. This is referring to the subcategory when you specifically specify that you're segregating it for the priests. Because everyone agrees on this principle. The priests, you cannot redeem. It's theirs, and then they can do whatever they want with it because it becomes mundane in their hands. And the temples, you can always redeem. 
So obviously a rabbi that says generally segregated property goes to the temple has a big problem with these words, and that's why they have to say, oh, but this is talking about that subcategory where you're specifying that you want to give this to the priest. So that seemingly, based on that perspective, these words cannot be sold, cannot be redeemed, puts a strong, like, vote in favor that this verse is talk is saying that segregated property goes to the priest. But then we have the last phrase that seems to go the other direction and more strongly supports those that say that segregated property goes to the temple. Because what was the last phrase? Any segregated property is most holy to God. So those people that say that segregated property goes to God, to the temple, they use this as a proof. This is a very strong proof because the verse is clearly saying it's God's. It's not the priest, it's God's. So that's strong. But what about those that hold the other? You know, now we have to flip them in the other direction. What about those that hold that unspecified vows of segregated property go to the priest? How do they deal with this phrase? any segregated property is most holy to God. So what they say it means is that if someone is vowing to segregate property to God, it could apply to any level, meaning upon that which is holy of the highest degree, we call kachim kachim, or, and that which is holy of the lesser degree, kachim kalim, meaning the verse said, any sacred property is most holy. In Hebrew, kodesh, kodashim. So those that say that this means to the priests, says kodesh, holy, means that the law of segregated property takes effect on that which is holy of the lesser degree. And kodashim, kodesh, kodashim, says it takes effect also which is holy to the highest degree. Now you're saying, wait a minute, what in the world are we saying here? If someone dedicated an animal to be either a lesser degree of holy offering or a higher degree of holy offering, you can't then give it to the priest. So what in the world? This, this actually seems more confusing. What are we saying? The Rashi clarifies, we don't mean that you're giving that animal because that animal that was dedicated to the lesser or holier offering is is going to that offering. But we're saying is the value of the animal. If it's a vow, then you have to give its absolute value because in case of a vow, if the original animal becomes lost or disqualified or dies, you need to replace it. So therefore, you need literally the value of that animal, which that entire value you have to give to the priest. If it's a voluntary offering, then you don't have to. Since it's a voluntary offering, you're just, you know, being nice, so to speak, and wanting to come closer to God. So if you made a pledge to dedicate an animal as a voluntary offering, and then the animal became disqualified or lost or died, you don't need to replace it. So your, like, stake in the animal is less. And that's why if a person dedicated the value of a voluntary offering as a segregated, and this is following the opinion that segregated means to the priest, then he has to give 
the value of that offering if he pledged a voluntary offering as segregated property. So again, oh, and this one last Rashi here, what does it mean that we're, we're dedicating men? So it means if you pledged as your segregated property, you're non-Jewish slaves. That was simple. So we're looking at this last verse again, just to recap, because it was a little going back and forth. We have these two perspectives. Whenever we say we're segregating property to God, it's to the temple. Or whenever we say we're segregating property to God, it's to the priests. And if you view it to the priests, there are some parts in this verse that seem more strongly to uphold that position, like can't sell, can't be redeemed. And parts of the verse that seem problematic, like anything segregated is holy of holies to God. And if you hold the perspective that all segregated is to God, to the temple, unless you specify it to the priest, then the end of the verse, all segregated is holy of holies to God, very much supports your position. And the middle of the verse, can't be sold, can't be redeemed, is problematic because you can sell or redeem something you've dedicated to God, to the temple. But we resolve that by saying, oh, that's actually talking about the subsection when you specified and this segregated property is specifically for the priest. And then it can't be sold or redeemed.